I never would have thought I would have got involved in something like this when I first went into prison. But if I was speaking to somebody who was first going into prison, I'd say to them, get involved in everything because you never know what you might find out about yourself. Because I found out amazing things about myself, things I never ever knew I would discover through doing theatre. Hello, you're listening to the National Theatre Podcast. I'm Sam, I'm a producer at the National Theatre, and I'll be your host. You just heard from Carl, a former prisoner, and one of many people we've spoken to for this episode to find out how theatre is being used in prisons. Now, prisons aren't the first place you'd expect to find some Shakespeare, some Shaw, some Strindberg, but many theatres make it part of their mission to connect with audiences who are difficult to reach, and they don't get much more difficult to reach than people who are behind bars. But what good is theatre to prisoners? Today, we're hearing from people with experience of the criminal justice system and talking to them about theatre. We meet an actor who got his start on the inside, find out how a man in prison for armed robbery ends up acting in a heist movie, and hear how a play handwritten inside a prison cell has been turned into a Hollywood film. And loads more. But first, what happens when you take Shakespeare into one of the most notorious prisons in America? I mentioned before, a lot of theatres do outreach work to take shows to people in their local communities. One of the most respected examples is the Public Theatre in New York. Their mobile unit takes professional productions to communities all over New York City, performing free Shakespeare plays to homeless shelters, community centres and prisons. We wanted to know, what's that like? Denmark's a prison, says Hamlet, but how does Hamlet go down when you're performing it to an audience of inmates in Rikers Island? Thankfully, we had just the man to speak to. Um, my name is Chikuri Wuji. I'm an actor. When you first cast in Hamlet, mm-hmm. obviously fantastic yeah. achievement for any actor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did you feel about the uh, the notion of taking that production? Did you know kind of at the very start that that would be the nature of this? Yeah, show? that was a big part of the sort of discussion because... I won't lie to you, I, 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 it's not really something I thought of doing or mm. necessarily wanted to do. What were your trepidations? Taking it to such an um, unfiltered audience, mm-hmm. an audience who will let you know how they feel in a very pure way. I mean, how do you, how do, you do to be or not to be to a prisoner in Rikers? which is a holding prison, not actually a prison. Like, they could be there for decades, waiting for trial. People that genuinely think about suicide, probably, on a daily basis. How do I, as a privileged middle-class actor, go into a prison and start asking to be or not to be without feeling like a charlatan? So there's that side of it. Um, there is something about an audience that's not restricted by the uh, norms of society that is is a very exposing thing to do. So that was frightening for me. I was like, will I be found out? While trying to communicate about the lack of faith in authority, which is a big part of Hamlet's story, the people that you're supposed to trust letting you down, especially in America with all the shootings that were going on and all that and going to these places saying um, 
what a Rogan peasant slave am I? You know, I should be acting. I should be acting on this, changing things, setting fire to the roof. So there was a side of me that was trepidatious about that, about doing it to probably the closest things we have to the angst Hamlet does feel in front of me. I remember being in uh, Westchester prison or something, or my, maybe Rikers, and I strapped on my strap on my uh, my belt on my bicep to while doing to be or not to be asking that question and a prisoner just putting his head in his hands and leaning forward and just shaking his head going don't do it don't do it it's not don't do it you know what I mean mm. um so yeah I really want to know um in more detail like what the process as a professional actor is like going into a prison to do mm. a performance all the all the extra stuff that you have to do yeah just to get into that the space. prison yeah yeah, yeah. and then what that's like well we were very lucky because it's such a well-oiled machine now at the public so we have a a, a sort of a advanced team that go forward and they get all the arrangements with the prison set up the prison then gets back to them and says this is what you can bring we have you have to do a very minimalist set which is mm. often the best theater comes out of minimalism yeah. anyway and they say okay you can bring that okay you need like for instance i had to have a costume where i would i had my gray t-shirt but i had to have the option of a white t-shirt because gray was too close to their uniform things like that um but that advanced team found out all that information so that for us it was very actually straightforward we would turn up to the public change at the public get into costume sometimes so hang on, you're in costume when in costume when in. we in the van yeah because we they, we it was just easier to be in costume rather than taking and looking for you don't have changing rooms sometimes sometimes they just make a an office your space so we would travel in costume <laughs> Um, luckily, it was a modern production, so it wasn't too bad. Um, we were traveling. if you were all, you know, in roughs. In roughs and all that, <laughs> driving through New York in the van, you know, that has Shakespeare mobile unit and it's in, <laughs> <laughs> with roughs and stuff. No, we were in costume, modern costume. And so we go through processing where they, you know, they make sure they get your name down and everything. They count everything. They count all the pieces of prop and stuff so make sure everything comes goes in comes out exactly the same so that's a bit tedious but it's made much easier by the advanced team that go ahead and do that for you yeah did it did it feel different for you as a performer in that space absolutely yeah how what was what was the energy like i say to people for me it was the suddenly realizing that i'd spent so much of my life as most actors do with that angst of worrying about whether you're, you're you're a good actor or whether you're a great actor or whether the performance is great or whatever. And then you go into these settings and you realize that actually at the end of the day, we're supposed to be storytellers. I know it's a very weird distinction, but it is a very clear distinction, the difference between storytelling and all that actor stuff. And actually the best performances are pure storytelling. It changed it changed me as an actor as well as a person. And seeing the generosity that's in the most scary places on the planet and seeing the eagerness and the intelligence and the kindness of these people, whatever mistakes or whatever they've made. I'm not trying to paint them all as saints and stuff. But when they were in that room, the energy and the focus and the gratitude. So your storytelling as an actor is infused with energy. This is like their two hours where they can be um, like the outside world. There are these comment sheets that they they do after the show and the number of people that said, thank you for reminding me I'm part of the world. You know what I mean? So um, it taught me a generosity as a performer that surpassed 
worrying about the usual angst. And I can genuinely say I've taken that with me since that experience. I can genuinely say that when we came back to the public and performed Hamlet, the reason it got the reaction, it did a big part of why it was so positively received and whatever was, we were infusing it with that generosity we met on the road, you know. And the road really was the highlight of it. And if you told me that I'd be performing at the in the, you know, at the public downtown New York playing Hamlet and actually I've had the highlight on the road in Harlem somewhere, I wouldn't have believed you, you know. Now, theatre isn't always something that arrives at a prison in the back of a truck. There are a number of great companies who work to bring theatre to prisons, but for this episode, we spoke to one company called Synergy. Synergy takes plays to theatres across the UK with former prisoners working as actors, writers, stage managers, assistant directors. They make a point of providing as many opportunities as possible for people coming out of prison to find work. But another strand of their work takes place inside prisons, offering workshops and courses, but also putting on productions where serving prisoners perform alongside professional actors. We spoke to a number of different people who've been involved with Synergy while serving time in prison. They've all got really interesting stories, and we're going to jump back and forth between them throughout the show. Esther Baker is the director of Synergy and is one of the most energetic people I've ever met. I was really curious to find out what drives someone to do this work. I do want to know why, how you got into <laughs> to working in this area and why it is that you that you do what you do. I'm from a family that's quite interested in social change, I think. So I had that in my blood, but I also loved the theatre. I was always quite drawn to working with marginalised people. And I mean, then once you start, you get pulled in. Mm. And also I quite like... I like the energy of the, pe the people. I quite like their rebellious spirit, um, all of that stuff. And then fusing that with theatre, it's quite magical. Um, and it has evolved over time, definitely. The way we work is we go in, we recruit through posters. We just put posters up on the prison wings, in the gym, in education departments. And we would then have a meeting with people that are interested. I should say here, when Esther says people are interested, that usually doesn't mean they have a deep-seated desire to write a play or be in a show. Most people we spoke to said they just wanted a reason, any reason, to get out of their cell. Frank, for example. Um, it was in 2006. I was um, on remand in Brixton Prison. It was a heatwave of a summer. And to tell the truth, I was just scheming of ways to get out of the prison cell. And one day I saw a poster on the wall saying, theatre production, Amina's Kitchen... So I put my name down, I went down to audition, and a couple of days later, she cast me in the, in the lead role. Oh, wow. And I was like, wow, I need to come out to get out of the cell. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a bit of, that's a, bit of a commitment. <laughs> it wasn't the fact that Esther was saying, look, come and do this course because it's going to make you a better person. She said, come and do this course because it's going to get you out of the cell and you're going to have fun doing it. This is Bubble, who took a playwriting course with Synergy. When you're serving, it's very grey. Prison's quite grey. There's not a lot of colour in there. And she seems to bring a bit of colour into your life. So, yeah, it's better than sitting in your cell for 23 hours a day, isn't it? We heard this a lot from people who'd worked with Synergy, that it was the personal connection with someone that meant as much as the work itself. Here's Carl again. This lady's only just met me, and she's instantly putting that level of trust into me. And I felt like, you know what? What's the worst that can happen? 
you know, I might as well get involved. And if and this lady, she obviously knows what she's talking about. She wants to give me this opportunity, you know, it'd be some fun and I'll get involved. And so there was a lot of apprehension to begin with, but there was also a level of excitement. I wanted to change my life. I wanted to try and sustain from committing crime. This is Debbie. She started working with Synergy because she wanted something to help her move away from the kind of life she'd had before going to prison. I was an addict for 22 years. Um, I've got five children. I was estranged from every one of my children. And I wanted um, to start building bridges. Um, I've got an amazing, I've got two amazing sons, but McElroy, you know, he wrote me a letter. I've still got it to this day in my top drawer, right beside my bed. And... um, Basically, he was saying, you know, I'd had a lot of problems in my childhood, really traumatic experiences. But my son was like, you know, Mum, this is unacceptable, taking a policeman hostage. And that's what I was charged with, holding a policeman, um, taking a policeman, kidnapping, basically, a policeman. Um, You know, this is unacceptable, you know. Um, the love and the respect, the little bit that I've got left for you, I need to stay away from you in order to maintain that little bit of love and respect that I've got for you because if I'm around you I'm going to lose it and I don't ever want that to happen and you know he he talked to me and it was like reversing roles this is my child telling me look fix up look sharp Mm. and you know it was one of the most powerful things in my life and Esther just came into my life at a time where you know my son now lives like I can look out my front room window into his kitchen (laughs) he loves that (laughs) (laughs) so when you say you're putting on a play inside the prison all kinds of people show up some enthusiastic some just looking for a reason to get out of their cells but what next I asked Esther how does she start so you get a big influx of people kind of into a room together and you haven't yeah. yet figured out who's going to do what no, or... No, the read-through you... usually takes ages because quite often their reading skills aren't particularly brilliant, um, although there are some fantastically talented people in there. We get amazing performances, but they go on a massive journey during rehearsal process. With any theatre show or any large, complicated project, right, there are things that you can foresee and things you can't foresee. But I, yeah. like, I want to know how much planning you do before you even... Go. Like, well, I'm thinking about you're picking a text, right? Yeah. You do you really think oh, I'm not going to pick with this one because it's got weapons in it or no I, I wouldn't how- do that but prisons are quite conservative I think when I'm picking the plays theme is really important they've got to connect with the play in some way um, but I would not do a play about prison in prison because they don't want to be thinking about that when we do plays with ex-prisoners it's really interesting to explore that but not inside um so, yeah, theme's really important. They really like kind of clear characterization, a strong emotional journey. But also, as a company, we're trying to program a range of work as right. well. And it's nice to have a challenge. And tell me a little bit more about the space you're rehearsing in. Oh, okay. Because right? so, in, in kind of the setup here, you know, at the National, they get a company will get a rehearsal room for several weeks. Yeah. They'll come in at 10 and they'll leave at 6 and they can leave stuff in there overnight. I imagine that's not the case. Yeah, they prison. don't know how lucky they are. I have <laughs> rehearsed, I rehearsed Glengarry Glen Ross, which we did in Brixton Prison, in a porter cabin with 10 men for five weeks. Wow. Was pretty intense. I mean, all rehearsals get 
quite intense in about the week before people go on when people aren't quite off book um but these guys it because it's their life you know it's all that's going yeah. on in the jail for them it can it can get quite emotional sometimes usually there's some kind of blow up because people are stressed and then it all comes together it always does uh, well it has to so you've got a company you've got a text you're rehearsed and ready to perform but you're in a prison where do you put on that show the performance space is pretty much always the chapel. Mm-hmm. Uh, chapels tend to be the space that lots of people use because it's the biggest space. And in terms of audiences as well, so we perform to the prison audience, which I love those performances because it's their peers as well. They're so lively. I mean, it is hilarious. And brilliant, though. They're really appreciative, but you can't do a rubbish job in front of that crowd. They no. just start talking. But if a show goes down well, you don't just get applause. Frank, who took the lead role in Elmina's Kitchen, told us how life in prison changed after his performance. The inmates had loved the play. They'd come to watch it. And, you know, I'd go down to the hot plate to get my dinner and I'll get two sausages instead of one. Instead of saying, oh, great, that was great, we like that play. You know, and the, the officers would open my door and say to me, do you want a shower? They'd give me privileges. Like, everybody... Really? You know, it was like, bloody hell, I've just done a play, but they saw you as... As, you know, as somebody like who had changed, given them joy. People wouldn't necessarily think that that kind of thing would go down that well yeah. in, a, in a prison environment. But you're I mean, saying that it's been... Yeah, I it mean, was some of the inmates, really they, well. were, they were taken aback. They were like, have you done acting before? Because they just couldn't believe that an inmate in six weeks c- could be transformed mm. into an actor and put on a show that they sat. A lot of them never been to the theatre. For them, that, that to them was like professionals, like... You know, they say, how can you, how do you do it? How do you remember all them lines? You know, people yeah. ask them questions because they just, it was, it was beyond them. It was not in their world, you know, and they didn't think it was in our world. Now, anyone who's ever done a play at school, community theatre or whatever, you'll know that kind of electricity and excitement that comes from working together on something really hard. But you'll also know that when it all comes to an end, you can really miss it. And when you're in prison, that's much, much worse. One thing that a few people have told us is how when that amazing process comes to an end, you're suddenly, it's, yeah, it feels really awful because suddenly it's gone. Oh my gosh, it's the worst feeling. It is the worst feeling. This is Valentine. We've not heard from him yet. He is a professional actor who first got involved with Synergy while he was serving time in Brixton Prison. When everything had finished, we none of us knew what to do with ourselves. It was just like, we. but I realised that we started hanging out a bit more with each other because that was the only connection, that was the closest connection we had to the feeling of not being in prison anymore. And that theatre project gave us that opportunity mm. to not feel like we we're in prison. So when we, the project finished, I stayed with one of the guys. I was constantly with him, constantly going to his cell. And there was moments where I just thought, "Oh, I feel like I'm back out." Yeah, it was really, really. It was. It, it wasn't. It wasn't a nice feeling for it to end like that. Not at all. It was horrible. Valentine first got involved with Synergy when he was in prison, but since getting out, he's gone on to become a professional actor. Recently appearing at a show here at the National. See, I consider myself to be a, such a lucky actor because <laughs> a lot of people go to drama school they spend three years there and you know try to get an agent and some people don't get an agent some people don't pursue acting after drama school i started in prison so when i got the gig at national it was off the back of getting a gig at the royal court theater so i was like what 
I'm, I'm working at the national. I know some big actors that have never ever touched the national theatre stage. So I, I just couldn't believe it. And I, I, when my agent called me, I was like, why, why, why did they want me? Why, what, what was it that I did that makes them want me? But it was an amazing experience. It, it was the thing that I love is that I go to the Unicorn Theatre, the Royal Court Theatre, the National Theatre, and all three of them gave me three different experiences. When I'm speaking to these professional actors and I'm trying to explain to them, you know, now that you've met me, you can see that I am a version of someone who's been in prison. If you had met me, when you met me, you didn't, you had no idea I was, I was a prison, I was an ex-prisoner. You thought I was a professional actor, but I just want to let you know that we're all human. We're all exactly the same. And sometimes it does bother me, but I don't blame them for thinking the way they think because a lot of people, there's not a lot of prisoners that do what I do and come out of prison and use that experience to kind of boost their, 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 their career or boost their, you know, their mental strength. A lot of them end up going back in. Mm. And I don't know, I wouldn't blame the prisoner and I wouldn't blame the prison. I just personally believe that it's just, there's a lot of things that need to take place before prisoners can come out and actually become something. And I do believe in people being institutionalized and believing that prison is the only place that they know and understand. But there's gotta be more processes put into place so that there is, you know, not necessarily opportunity but just so that there's a bit more guidance into leading them back into society and letting society actually accept them. Because again, for me, that was really difficult. Some mm. people didn't accept me until today wouldn't accept me. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, one thing Synergy's interested in is challenging the public's perception of prisoners and ex-prisoners. Yeah, and, and, you know, you see them on stage and so many people say, I can't believe they're prisoners. I mean, they're just men, you know, or women. I think the media is particularly unhelpful about prisons because they're so demonised in, in... And, you know, and of course, the people we work with have done terrible things, but they are not just their crime. I think there's probably a real range of attitudes towards it. Some people probably think it's terrible and they shouldn't get it and blah, blah, blah. But I think, in, you know, that's the kind of people we want to reach. We want to get that conversation with those people. So because it's easy if someone's demonised, it's just not complicated. But actually, if someone becomes a human being, then it's just so much more of a complicated debate. You know, it's like they're frightened to do things that are normal because um, in case the public might seem that we're having a great time. Here's Frank again telling us about his first-hand experience of the arts being pulled from the prison system. That's what the public wants. They want you to be punished. But they don't realise the sentence is the punishment. You don't have to be punished more while you're doing the sentence. You need to be reformed. And the only way you can be reformed is, is you know, finding, finding, out, finding out about yourself, finding out what, what's good for you, finding out what can change your life. I remember once they invited a comedian into the prison to teach how, somebody how to do comedy. And the Daily Mail, and the next day in the Daily Mail, the prisoners in the prison laughing. Should be laughing. And the, the, the comedian was told to leave the prison. The governor said, I can't take the, this sort of press. And they, they chucked him out. But, you know, he might, he might have discovered two comedians, two prisoners who became com- comedians and come out of prison and be proper comedians. Imagine the stuff, they, the jokes they can, they can come out with. You know, the whole world that the public are not have access to. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's just a shame, really. Although taking part in workshops and performances when you're inside prison can be helpful, whether it's just as a bit of colour to break up the greyness of a long sentence or something more profound like finding a new talent or friendship, imagination, confidence, teamwork, everyone we spoke to said that what made the most impact about their time with Synergy was what happened afterwards. 
and it wasn't really about it being theatre at all. We're now going to hear three stories about how Esther invested in integrating ex-prisoners into the outside world. First, it's Bubble. I'd asked him what he found most valuable about working with Esther. Well, to be honest, it's the fact that she actually engages with you when you leave prison. Yeah, so Esther actually follows up. Well, for instance, I was I got to a DCAT prison, where that's an open prison, where you're allowed to leave the prison on a daily basis as long as you've got work. Um, I got in contact with Esther, and she said, look, I'm doing a film, and you can be my runner, like make teas, copies, run around the set and that. And I said, well, listen, anything to get me out of prison, I don't, the money's not the issue, it's just to be like involved in society. And she said, look, and as it happened, um, she found a role for me in the film, so I actually got a part in the film. Do you know what I mean? So that was great, and I played like um, a jeweler that gets uh, robbed. Basically, the sort of stuff I was doing to people, <laughs> I actually like the irony of it is I was getting the uh, I had, I had like three guys jumping the counter with hammers, beating me up, trying to rob my jewelry shop. So that was quite a good perspective to see. Do you know what I mean? And that was great fun. Being on a movie set was like saying out of a dream. Do you know what I mean? Even mm. though it was a small, low budget film, but I felt like I was like. Danny Dyer or something, do you know what I mean? I was walking around telling people I'm the Mediterranean Jason Statham with a Danny Dyer accent. It was absolutely hilarious. We heard so many stories like this. Coming out of prison can be really difficult, and often people getting out have no money, no job, no place to stay. But everyone we spoke to seemed to have a story about how Esther and Synergy had been there for them when they were released. Our second story is from Debbie, who you heard from earlier. Remember, she can look into her son's kitchen. Esther Baker called me on the 5th of January 2009 and offered me a job. So I've got this part, it's got this part and I thought, you know, she's like, you're perfect for it. And she met me in Oxford Circus. Now remember, this is, this is Esther and my second meeting. She doesn't know anything about me, she, you know, nothing, she, you know. And I explained to her my situation, blah, blah, blah. I'd just been given temporary accommodation. I had nothing nobody and um esther advanced me 150 pound she bought me my first week's oyster card um and said to me right you need to be at um knight's bridge it's a beautiful church right in front of arid she said you need to be there for 9 30 start rehearsals and this was like you know the old debbie would have just took that money laughed her Took the oyster back to the cash, you know, to the train station. Got the money back off that. Got and had a good old smoke and a good old laugh at Esther Baker. But that old Debbie was dead. And this new Debbie, I was at that rehearsal at 9.30 the next morning. And, oh, my God, I can't... Apart from giving birth to my children, that was... It was like, you know, that was just such a big achievement for me nobody will really be able to understand you know like we're talking about a 40 year old woman getting to a rehearsal and to me i'd walked on the moon our third story is from frank whose visit to court had an unexpected result i was on remand waiting sentence Mm -hmm. and esther came to the court and talked to my behalf and told the judge that you know he'd been part of a production that i put in the prison and i'd like to take him on tour if he was not sentence and the judge said what's the name of your um theater company she said synergy she like his his words shook me he said synergy i know all about synergy i'm on their mailing list i thought 
like the judges on the mailing list of this theatre company. I can't be going, can't be going to prison, can I? So what happened then? He said, "I'm going to allow you to go on tour with the company." I couldn't believe when he said that. First time in my life, a judge had never sentenced me. That's amazing. He said, "I'm going to go on tour. I'm going to adjourn sentence for twelve months. I want you to come back to this court in twelve months' time, and I will sentence you then." And what happened in the twelve months? Oh, you can imagine. I was like, you know what I mean? I didn't want to go back to prison in 12 months. <laughs> I was the best, best behaved actor on tour. I joined a, a, a company that done background work and um, I'd done a lot of extra work. And it was funny, it was, it, I, I'd done a, a film with Dustin Hoffman outside here called... Oh, wow, just on the South Bank. On yeah. the South Bank. But um, there was a scene where the, 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 one, of the, one of the AD said to me to walk across past... Ha- um, Dustin Hoffman and walk but when I walked across him somebody in the crowd had taken a picture yeah. and it, it got into newspapers it looked like I was actually in a scene with Dustin Hoffman <laughs> and I wasn't so I gave it to the judge and he said you've been on tour you've done a film with Dustin Hoffman yeah he did come set me to prison that is the best story uh, you know what I mean I've never been back to prison since <laughs> that's amazing amazing I'll show you the picture after please do Now, I, an employee of the publicly subsidised theatre, need no convincing of theatre's power as a force to change people's lives. But I was curious. Was it important that this was theatre? Could these workshops in prisons and this work on the outside been something else? Anything else? Here's Carl, who you heard from at the start of the show. The drama side of it is just really helped me to be able to express myself. It's built up my self-confidence. Mm. It's built up my self-esteem. It's, it's, it's made me more articulate. You know, I, I, I never could have done public speaking before. Now I'm adept at it. I can go and sit and, and captivate a room, you know, because I've learned the craft of being on stage of, of how it is to be able to draw people in. And, you know, so it, it's taught me a lot and it's, it's, it's educated me as well. You know, my education is good because, you know, I, I never would have picked up Shakespeare and stuff like that before, but I've picked up these books and read these things and it's... And it's made my vocabulary grow. It's made my personality grow. And equally, my social group. I've, I've met loads of new people from loads of new walks of life. And that's, that's obviously helped me a great deal. What would the person who went into prison mm-hmm. think of the person you are now? Um, completely different. Um, one thing I think I pride myself on now is that before people used to fear me because of my bad ways but now people respect me because of my good ways because I'm a completely different person and I I, I look at it by the people that have known me my whole life and my, my, my partner she's known me since I was 14 years old and she said like the person I used to be and the person I am now are so far apart because I have this level of kindness now because a lot of that negative stuff I've overcome and that's through the medium of drama, through the art, through having to look at myself, you know, through having to, you know, say to myself, look, you can't go back to crime because you look what you're going to mess up, look what you've got and it's changed me as a person. And so I guess for me, it's the whole experience, everything to do with it is just, as I said, it saved my life. That's the easiest way I can put it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Good 
plays open up complex questions. They don't necessarily answer things, but they certainly make the world not so simplistic. And we've, we're all on a journey, you know. We've all, we've all messed things up in our life. And I think, actually, the public are interested in second chances. I think they are. I think there's some crimes they find extremely hard to deal with, which I do too. But I think, you know, for a lot of the people we work with, if they met them or if they saw their story or something they've written, you know, and and they see that they're trying to sort their lives out, I think a lot of people would be on board with that. Most people who do theatre in prison or get work as an actor or a runner when they leave don't go on to continue in that work forever. It's a useful stepping stone to the many different kinds of lives they want to lead. But sometimes that career path can be truly life-changing. I am Michael Ashton. I write plays and I write screenplays. Our last story today is from Michael, who'd never written a play before he went to prison. I had a free afternoon a week and Synergy advertised a playwriting course. So I thought, to fill my afternoon, I'd do this course. Could have been bricklaying, could have been anything. You just, just wanted happened to, to be playwriting. Just wanted to fill the time. Mm-hmm. Was writing something that you'd experimented with or done before, or was it something you'd always done? Um, yes and no. I, I was a soldier, and when I was a soldier, I was an intelligence officer, which meant a lot of writing. Um, when I was invalided out of the army, I went and I went back to university and did my PhD. I then qualified as a barrister and practised as a barrister until nicking clients' money sent me to prison. I know it's awful, and I, I and yeah. So I'd done a lot of writing, but never creative writing. Right, I see. So never, never. Although I suppose a barrister. Um, you could term it creative writing. Well, I was going to say, there's something quite with, performative about being some, in court, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, with some clients. <laughs> definitely creative. And at the end of the course, did you, what did you produce by the end? And I wrote The Archbishop it? and the Antichrist. And um, I had no thoughts of being a playwright. I mean, when Esther Baker rang me up and said, you know, we're going to be doing rehearse reading um, in the festival hall in six weeks' time, you could have knocked me over with a feather. Michael's play, The Archbishop and the Antichrist, had been written by hand while he was in his cell. But although he'd enjoyed writing it, he said the play wasn't much comfort when he left prison and found he had nowhere to turn. At the time, I was living in a Salvation Army Army hostel on Canary Wharf, and I'd thrown the the hard copy of the script into the skip because I, I thought, who are you kidding? You're not a playwright. And Esther rang, but they needed a a hard copy of the script, and it was in the skip. Um, And if she hadn't rung, I wouldn't be here now. And of course I had to get out of the skip at night with a torch borrowed from the staff. (laughs) Page 8, page 21. (laughs) Interest in Michael's script was phenomenal. He went on to write plays for a number of theatres and The Archbishop and the Antichrist was optioned and turned into a feature film. The Forgiven, um, which is the, the film adaptation of The Archbishop, and when you consider that, you know, it's Roland Joff, the director of The Mission in the Killing Fields, Forrest Whitaker, Eric Banner, all these wonderful people, and I sat in Hollis Bay prison handwriting it 
and you know feeling really really sorry for myself and consumed with guilt and didn't know where to turn for redemption um i had absolutely no one i looked in a, a, a mirror one day at a wardrobe in a mirror and i thought you know you are such a, a horrible bee nobody even writes to you this is what you've done to your life and then six weeks after I left prison, the Archbishop's in the Royal Festival Hall. I wanted to go back to what we said earlier about how you you jumped from uh, coming out of prison to suddenly being very successful very quickly and having a sustained level of success. I've spoken to a few writers who, who when they're sort of trying to get their careers going, um, they feel like they're going to reach a point where they feel successful. And they say that that point often never comes because you're always working project to project or you 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 never reach that point where you think, yes, fantastic, I've done it. Um, your life has been very varied and with very high highs and very low lows, it sounds. Do you feel successful? I was a successful alcoholic and um, drug addict. <laughs> um, you know, and... I had a very, very, <clears throat> as a successful legal practitioner. So to to leave prison and travel with one small plastic bag to, on a, on the tube to Canary Wharf, and to go into a Salvation Army hostel, um, you couldn't, you just you couldn't achieve any 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 lower. You just you, it's just not possible. It's hard to say. I mean. Yeah, I do feel that, that I've achieved success with my writing. Uh, I mean, how many people have Roland Joff, Jeff Gunn, For Forrest Whitaker uh, slaving away on their <laughs> at their words? Um, but I personally won't consider myself to, have to be a, a successful playwright until I have something in the national and something at the globe. Um... Until then, I write plays that people enjoy, or seem to enjoy. How much do you feel that having been to prison is a fundamental part of how people see you and your work? I, I can't change what I did. I can't change what I was. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, you have the 12-step programme. Well, before I went into prison, um, I mean, I, I, I had a more than a thousand pound a day habit and I was a, a raging alcoholic. I, I, was, I was absolutely lethal. You know, I'd steal anything from anyone to keep funding my lifestyle and I couldn't stop. And I was sent into residential rehab before I went, by the judge before I went to prison. And when I got to the 12-step stage, I said to the counsellor, it's impossible. I've hurt so many people and damaged so many people. Um, I, d I just couldn't make reparation or, or uh, you know, I just you couldn't get round them all and say sorry. And I guess the way that I do it, the way that I find my personal redemption is in all the characters I create who are all flawed and all seeking their redemption. Um, 
And one of the ways that you find forgiveness is you, you, you have to start forgiving yourself. That, you know, you, you won't be able to forgive anyone else unless you can start to forgive yourself. And that's what the Archbishop and the Antichrist is all about. Tutu's having a crisis of faith and conscience. Um, he's having to forgive these horrible people. The Archbishop Blomfeld um, is just consumed with guilt over what, what he's done. And the two, together, find their way to redemption. Same with the beekeeper, Stresler and the commandant. It's Bethlehem lights, the colonel and Sophia and that. It's just, that. It's my, it's my central theme. Except for the sci-fi metal score. There's <laughs> 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 not much me metaphysical or, or deep in that one. <laughs> Michael's film, The Forgiven, is due to be released later this year. That's all we have time for today, but thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this episode, please do. You can leave us a review on iTunes to tell us what you think, find us on Twitter at National Theatre, or by using the hashtag NTPodcast, and keep up with everything else we're doing on the National Theatre blog, on Facebook and Instagram at National Theatre. This episode was produced and edited by Emma Reedy and presented and co-produced by me, Sam Sedgman, with help from our social content editor, Nick Mulligan. The executive producer was Kate Moore and the music was by Alex Painter. A huge thank you to Carl, Frank, Debbie, Bubble and Valentine and everyone from Synergy for sharing your stories. Thank you also to Chukwudi Iwuji, Michael Ashton and the unstoppable Esther Baker. We'll be back in two weeks with our next show, but until then, goodbye. Thank you.